Let's start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. Hello, Baltimore. This, my name is Tyrone Post, owner of BPPW Heating and Cool. And welcome to our show called Tyrone, featuring my African-American cultural gangsters. Leroy Myers, graduate student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. His area of study is the dynamics of the intersection of African-American and Native American history. Say hello, Leroy. Leroy? Okay, we're going to get him up. He's, uh, Le again, Leroy is in Oklahoma. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to get him. And then once we get him, he'll be doing a good job in shorts. With and uh, and my other millennial co-host, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He's a socially conscious vegan and a producer of the channel 10 Podcasts, which uh, features uh, interviews with pioneering rap artists. Go ahead, Zach. Uh, good afternoon, Baltimore City. I hope everything is going well for you this evening or this afternoon. <laughs> okay, 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 Baltimore. Today, we're going to be uh, discussing racial profiling, stereotypes, and how that affects blacks even if they are innocent, okay? And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a very, very inter interesting topic, and we will uh, we want to hear your views, and hopefully you'll be calling us uh, at 410-481-1010. 410 410-481-1010. Okay. Um, first of all, um, Harper Lee died this week, and um, a lot of people, you, know, you may not know who Harper Lee is, especially younger people. You, they may not know who Harper Lee is. Well, she, well, she wrote the book To Kill a Mockingbird, okay? Excellent movie, by the way. Excellent movie. If you want to understand uh, some, you know, some of the stereotypes that were, were felt around, you know, the 20, in, in the 20th century, and, and um, that's a very important uh, movie to watch, especially the angst that, that white men had about black men and their women, okay? The, the, the plot of the story was that, uh, that uh, it was an innocent black man played by uh, Brock Peters, that is a white woman that came on to him. He was, a, he was a servant in the house, and she had came on to him and pulled his shirt off. And then they had a trial and tried to accuse him of trying to rape her. And in, that, in those days, of a black man, rape was punishable by death, okay, in those days. It's kind of hard to, to um, and I know it's hard to visualize this for the, for the uh, millennials because, you know, all the interracial dating is going on now. It's, it's, <laughs> you got to put it in the context of the time. So things were a lot different back then. And um, so what happened was he was... Uh, he was accused of raping this woman because nobody would believe that a white woman would come on to a black man. And so uh, what ended up happening is he was, he, he was found guilty. There was no real evidence against him, not a shred of evidence, but he was found guilty. And um, they, they on the way to get, you know, to, to, to put him in jail because they were going to try to get him an appeal and all this kind of stuff, they killed him. He was lynched on the way to, to, uh, to being transported to, to uh, jail. 
So if you want to understand, you know, how we got to where we are in terms of stereotypes, and all, that's a good movie to watch. Uh, another one would be Birth of the Nation. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but that was filmed. Uh, that's actually the first film that was filmed in the White House. And um, um, and, and, and the president at the time, Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, said that it was almost like history written by the hand of God. I mean, uh, lightning with lightning. And uh, what that was about was it was basically a pro Klux Klan movie. It's about the Klan and how they were heroes of the South after the North carpetbaggers went in there and destroyed the South. And then they put Negroes in charge and they were eating chicken in the, in the state legislature and had their feet on the, on the desk and all this kind of stuff and uh, trying to rape white women. You know, so I, again, I know this is hard to believe, you know, that these type of movies were out, you know, but this came out in 1915, by the way. And uh, it was the first movie filmed in, in, in uh, the White House. And, and a lot of people took it literally. And it, and it actually resulted in the resurgence of KKK. And by 1920, KKK had a, had a resurgence and they had uh, gained millions of members. Uh, they even marched to Washington. It was like five, five million so, or so members that they that they that they had. So. Movies like this, if you if you want to understand the dynamics of stereotyping and where it came from, and you want to get a historical perspective through a movie, though, uh, I, w- I would recommend highly recommend *Birth of a Nation* and um, and uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird*, because *Birth of a, of a Nation* kind of set the mindset for the 20th century racism, and um, uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird* actually exposed it for what it was. So those those are very very good movies, very good, and I, and I recommend them if you want to understand. Okay, um, let's uh, fast forward. Let's let's uh, we've had we've had some instances of racial profiling, and one of the most important ones I think in recent memory is when um, it was an officer Michael Slager shot uh, um, um, the young man Walter Scott in the back uh, six t- four four to six times. He shot him in the back. Okay. Now, we need to see that. White people need to see it, and black people need to see it. Because there are some blacks that will tell you, okay, well, if you, you maybe if we stop sagging our pants and all this kind of stuff. Man didn't have his pants sagging. His pants were not sagging, okay? Or, you know, and, and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, he, and he was Eric, Eric Garner's, by the way. And, when, and we need to see that, and that's the importance of the cameras. And that's why I see it as as one of the remedies. Not, you know, they, they'll probably still kill black people, but at least you have some, you know, dead men tell no tales, but film does. Okay, so at least you have some record of what actually happened for your family or or even legal prosecution of that police officer. Because if they didn't have film, if it wasn't for that innocent bystander that was standing by filming that, the illegal alien that filmed that, then um, he would have got off scot-free. That cop would have got off scot-free because what he said was that there was a struggle for his taser. And uh, he shot the, the black guy um, because they were struggling for the taser. Because you can hear him say, taser, taser, taser. But that was the story that he was going to put out. And he understood that stereotyping of black people would allow him to get actually get away with that murder. if uh, that, And that's all he had to say. Because opposed to say stuff like he lunged or whatever. And in Baltimore, we had people get shot in the back. They would say, oh, he tried to drive off. I was trapped. I, my arm was trapped in the door or whatever. So I had to, I had to use my service revolver. I remember stories of that in the Baltimore Sun. So I don't think this stuff only happens uh, in, in, the, in the South or, or, you know, South Carolina, places like that. There was another incident in South Carolina where a young man pulled into a gas station. And, and by the way... Uh, the, the 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 guy that was shot, they pulled him over for broken taillight. This young man was pulled again, the same type of sermon. This young man was pulled over. He pulled him to the gas station and to get gas. And the police said, you know, he had broken taillight. Asked for license registration. The young man complied and all that. Got to gave him the license registration in a good mood. You know, yes officer, no officer, no pants sagging, none of that kind of stuff. And next thing you know, the officer's running across the the 
the uh, parking lot shooting a guy. He shot him like six or seven times. He said, why did you shoot me? And, and, and uh, you know, he was like shocked that the police would even do something. Like it. it was unbelievable. And, and uh, again, these things happen. But I know um, it's hard for some people to believe. So the film provides proof that they happen. It's irrefutable proof for both blacks and whites. And there are doubting blacks as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about framing. And I have a clip uh, um, from, uh, again, Michelle Alexander. Uh, she's an expert researcher. And, again, one of our major problems with, you know, we're about to lose another generation of uh, urban youth, too, by the way, a third generation. But well, we got to figure out what's going on, and we got to address these problems. But the first step in solving the problem is to identify the problem. And I believe the war on drugs and mass incarceration is a big problem that bears upon us. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to a clip about uh, framed for a felony. Oh, I'm sorry. I am sorry. I'm not going to be able to represent you if you have a felony record. And I tried to explain to him why that was the case and how I could understand that why it would seem unfair or wrong. But he keeps trying to give me more information, more details. Now he's giving me the names of those officers, their badge numbers, who can corroborate that story. And I'm just, I am sorry. I am sorry. I am not going to be able to represent you. Then he starts insisting upon his innocence. I'm innocent. I'm telling you, I just, I just took the deal. I just took the plea deal because they told me if I just took the deal that I could just walk. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to do a day in prison. If I just took the, took the deal, I'd just get felony probation. That's it. It would just be felony probation. And, and that's it. I, I was innocent, but I, I didn't want to do the time. I was scared of going to go in prison. I just, I just took the deal. But I'm telling you, I didn't do it. I'm telling you the truth. So, I am sorry. I cannot represent you. And then he becomes enraged. And he says to me, you're no better than the police. You're no better than the police. The minute I tell you I'm a felon, you just stop listening. You just can't even hear what I have to say. He says, what's to become of me? What's to become of me? He says, I can't get a job anywhere because of my felony record, anywhere. He says, I, I, can't, I can't even get housing. I can't even get access to public housing because of my drug felony. Where am I supposed to sleep? So you know, I sleep in my grandma's basement at night because nowhere else will take me in. So how am I supposed to take care of myself as a man? So I can't even get food stamps. I can't even get food stamps to feed myself. What's to become of me? He says, good luck finding one young black man in my neighborhood they haven't gotten to yet. They've gotten to us all already. And he snatches all those papers up, all those notes, and just starts ripping them up into tiny little pieces. He's throwing them in the air. It's just snow and white paper in my office. And he walks out yelling at me, you're no better than the police. I can't believe I trusted you. Well, several months after that, I'm doing a public access television show that was broadcasting live out of his neighborhood. I was doing public access TV because we were trying to organize several thousand people to get on buses and go to the state capitol to protest the governor's refusal to sign racial profiling legislation. And so we had been holding town hall meetings up and down the state, been doing a big media campaign. And it was just a couple of days before the demonstration and I was doing public access TV in his neighborhood trying to urge people to get on the bus and go to the demonstration. Well, immediately after that show goes off the air, it was broadcasting live, the minute it goes off the air, he comes bursting into the studio, carrying this dirty potted plant. And he comes rushing up to me and he's emotional 
on the verge of tears and he comes rushing up to me and he thrusts this plant in my arms and he says, I'm just here to tell you I'm sorry. I'm just here to tell you I'm sorry. I've been seeing you on the news. I've been seeing you out there trying to fight for our people, trying to do the right thing and I shouldn't have treated you like that. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. So I would have bought you some flowers but I still don't have any money so I snatched this plant off my grandma's front porch. <laughs> here. Hands it to me. And then he turns around and takes off. He goes running out of the building. And I go chasing after him. He jumps into this broke down car and disappears. Well, several months after that, I'm in my office. I open up the newspaper. And what's on the front page? The Oakland Riders police scandal is broken. Turns out that a gang of police officers, otherwise known as a drug task force, had been planting drugs on suspects, beating folks up in his neighborhood, and who's identified as the main officer, one of the main officers charged with planting drugs on suspects and beating folks up? Well, it was the officer that he had identified to me as planting drugs on him and beat up him and his friend. Okay, that was... Uh Michelle Alexander, author of the, the, the book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration and the Age of Color Blindness. And what she was describing was she was she worked for the ACLU at one time and she had um, they had an issue where they were having people, blacks and Hispanics that had been stopped driving while black, come, you know, come down and interview. And um, uh, uh, the system crashed. The first few minutes it was up. And, and so she one black. You know, brown man's after another would come in there and, and, and she would interview them. And uh, she was trying to explain to that young man that she couldn't represent him because he had a felony. And um, they would just say, well, we're supposed to be, uh, of course we're watching him. He got a felony. And, and the, the trial would be about his felony, not about, you know, pattern of practices of driving while black or stopping people while driving while black. So she was trying to explain that to him. It wasn't that she didn't want to represent him. It was just that it would distract from the, from the real case, which was uh, racial profiling. And so... Uh, we have Leroy here. Leroy Myers, uh, you just joined. Uh, you just joined us. We got you, Leroy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so let's let's talk about um, let's talk about Ferguson, and then we'll continue. Uh, by the way, the, the number is four one zero four eight one ten ten four one zero four eight one ten ten. If you we want to hear your views, if you want to special few views, feel free to call in. And let's 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 talk about Ferguson now. Some of the racial profiles going on down there. Brown's death sparked months of protests in Ferguson and around the country. In a separate report, the Justice Department is expected to clear the police officer, Darren Wilson, of civil rights violations in the shooting of Brown. The Justice Department's study of Ferguson's records from 2012 to 2014 found African-Americans made up 93% of arrests in Ferguson, while accounting for only 67% of the population. In addition, the report found in 88% of the cases in which Ferguson police used force, it was against African-Americans, and all 14 cases of police dog bites involved blacks. Investigators also found that African-Americans constituted 96 percent of people arrested in traffic stops solely for an outstanding warrant, 95 percent of jaywalking charges, 94 percent of failure to comply charges, 92 percent of all disturbing the peace charges. With traffic stops, African-American motorists are twice as likely to be searched when pulled over, even though searches of white drivers are more likely to turn up drugs or other contraband.
The Justice Department report uncovered at least three municipal Ferguson emails containing racist language or images. One email sent by a Ferguson police or municipal court official joked in 2008 Barack Obama would not remain as president for long because, quote, what black man holds a steady job for four years? Another email suggested more abortions by African-American women would lower crime. It read, quote, an African-American woman in New Orleans was admitted into the hospital for a pregnancy termination. Two weeks later, she received a check for $5,000. She phoned the hospital to ask who it was from. The hospital said, Crime Stoppers. A third email uncovered in the Ferguson probe included a cartoon depicting African-Americans as monkeys. Okay. Okay, people. The, the, the email she was talking about was sent by police officers. All right. And they still haven't identified the officers who, had, who were sending the emails. So um, they, they, there is definitely a problem in Ferguson. And, and the Justice Department concluded that there is a pattern in practice of uh, profiling and racial-type racial, uh, incidents in that town. So it's not a figment of black people's imagination. The two things that struck me about that whole thing was 95% of the people arrested for jaywalking I mean, uh, we're black. I mean, you mean they're locking up people with jaywalking? And by the way, that's what um, uh, Michael Brown was was actually doing when the police officer stopped him. So you see how these things tend to, you know, uh, massacize something more serious when you come in, when young people come in contact with the police, and they have a reason to do so. Zach. And um, one other point in regards to that, um, you know, a lot of people have uh, various. Uh, uh, views about exactly what happened with the Michael Brown case, but um, the actual case, it's more than just that. It's the bigger pattern of what exactly was going on in the police department. And um, one can imagine is going on uh, in many police departments throughout the nation. And when you look at some of the things that are in this Department of Justice uh, report, uh, the Washington Post has an article. They have the 12 key highlights from the uh, DOJ's scathing uh, Ferguson report. And uh, some of the things are just uh, really astonishing here. Um, it says a, a, a Ferguson woman parked her car, her car illegally once in 2007. It ended up costing her more than $1,000 in six days in jail. And it just goes on and on um, with some of the ridiculous policies and uh, procedures and just actions that this department was doing. Um, so this actual Michael Brown case shed a light um, onto a lot of the things that are happening here, uh, here in Ferguson to the African-American community. Yeah, and, and nobody, I was somebody called me and tell me, the justification for locking somebody up, you know, for illegal parking, you know, yeah, come on, you know, there's, there's no, there is no justification for it at all, and and that that is totally disgraceful. The other thing that struck me about that report was that 100 percent of the dog bites <laughs> were for black African Americans, okay, and um, and one thing about the civil rights movement, if you look back uh, at, at some of the clips from the civil rights movement and the dogs biting the black people and all stuff, there were a lot of people that would march with Dr. King during the civil rights movement. But none of the people, you can't show me one clip of a white person getting bit by a police dog in those clips. So, yeah, they marched with Dr. King, but the dogs was for the black people, okay? And then this thing is not about hating white people or anything like that. The only thing we're trying to do is expose the facts and try to, you know, identify problems that lead to even innocent young blacks being uh, pulled into this criminal justice system, the right. system of mass incarceration. And uh, in Ferguson, 67% uh, um, is... It's only 67% African-American, but uh, African-Americans account for 93% of the actual arrests. And uh, as we've stated on this uh, show before, um, you know, 
black people and white people commit crimes at, you know, basically the same rates. Uh, you know, your color doesn't uh, make you commit more crime just because you're black. Not only that, the report stated, for whatever reason, I don't know the reason, they said that stopping whites usually turned up more incidents of finding drugs. And that, that's in that clip, if you were listening. So there is no rationale for those stats. And they don't, they, do, they really don't add up to the, to the on-the-ground reality. And uh, we've been, for the most part, the whipping boy for the war on drugs. And uh, if, in case you're, you're historically challenged, a whipping boy was somebody that the prince had, a friend, that he, he went to school with the prince, and that the prince didn't get his lessons in the British court. And this was starting in the 16th century in the British court. If the prince didn't get his lessons, the whipping boy took the whippings for the, for the prince because of the divine right of, of kings, you know, that, that, that doctrine that says only king's father could defend the king. And the king's father was never around, so the whipping boy had to take the beatings uh, for the king. The whole idea was that your friend, you want to see your friend get whipped. But if you had a, a prince that didn't care about you, you were in trouble as a whipping boy. And uh, it looks like the black people are, of this country, you know, when it comes to, uh, to law enforcement, everything's cool. Just like the beginning of the show, that clip we played from Michael Bourdain, everything's cool as long as it's not happening to them. And, and uh, I think people are coming around as we present the facts. Leroy? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, also uh, only only three of the of the fifty three police officers in Ferguson's police department, um, at least at that time, were uh, were black. So you know, just looking at the at, at the at the dem at the demography of the of Ferguson's police department and how much of an effect that uh, that had on uh, the extent of racial profiling uh, within that department and throughout the city as well. Right. I do think that that is, um, you know, potentially one of the solutions, um, you know, to this type of problem is more diversity um, on, you know, various police forces. Also having uh, police officers who are actually from within the community. Um, these are all things that, you know, can potentially uh, make a difference um, and maybe change the culture of, you know, the racial profiling and stereotyping uh, that is so prevalent. Uh, and the number, by the way, is 410-481-1010, 410-481-1010, if you want to share your views. Um, the, the other thing is, um, and I hear people saying that if you educate, I agree with you, what you're saying, but people saying if you give police education, that's going to um, stop it. And I don't, I don't entirely agree with that because it doesn't take, you know, uh, a, a person with a Ph.D. to understand you don't shoot a man in the back. All right? It doesn't take a man, you know, a genius to understand that um, – that you don't choke a man to death, you know, and he's saying, I can't breathe 11 times while you're doing it. And it doesn't, and you don't, they don't ask you what your, your um, qualifications are when they arrest you for those crimes. Okay. They don't ask you if you got, if you got an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree when the police is arresting you for those crimes. So why would the police who commit the same crime have to have, you know, a higher degree to understand that it's morally wrong to do that? Once, you know, once a man is apprehended. Right. And um, I do um, agree. And also, um, going back to um, to birth of a nation um, with the war on drugs, um, with uh, blacks being disproportionately targeted, um, you know, when it comes to arresting them for the same crimes that uh, whites are, are committing uh, in the same proportions, uh, the news is basically like birth of a nation every day, which is... Uh, contributing to the stereotyping that's going on, um, so I think that a lot of it is the imagery that's going on on the um, on the news and TV every day. Uh, we do have a caller, um, Charles. You're on. How's it going, Charles? Yes. Good afternoon. Good How's afternoon. it going, Charles? Yes. Um, well, we gotta look at our leaders and our spokespeople. You know, they created this situation 
where they continue to compromise and they continue to just side, you know, with the other side. You know, I've said many times that, you know, the police wanted to arrest me just for smiling. You know, they were going to beat me down if I didn't stop smiling. And, you know, this is just infotainment, you know, to people in positions where people are listening. You know, we have, you know, two types of formats. We have paid formats and we have unpaid. Well, during those paid formats, certain things are pushed, but we are passed over. Our real issues are passed over. I mean, they're treated like jokes. So everybody else will treat us like a joke. So when we get to the unpaid, now that's when we start to really get serious, and that's when people tune us out. You know, this comes from the top down. You know, we have gates. Charles, yeah. do you see this as a white thing, a white police officer, black police officer, or do you see this as a structural issue? This is definitely a structural issue. You know, the term white and black, they're only catalysts, you know, to get the job done. But, yeah, this is a structural issue. You know, this this is pre-planned. And then you have people that just entertain. Right, right. The, way, the reason I ask you that, because I want people to understand that we're, we're not, you know, we're not excusing crime. We're not uh, trying to make excuse make for black people. And we're not trying to say it's all about white people. It's about the structure of discrimination and racial profiling that's even affecting innocent black people. Okay? It's not like, you know, all these people that get caught up are committing crimes. There are people who are innocent that are affected by racial profiling. Right. And, and, and when it comes to the courts, we have no recourse for these racist judges. I mean, we, we have the people that work in the courts that will tell you we know the judge is racist. We even have the lawyers that tell you we know the judge in the court is racist. But we have no recourse. They're not doing anything about it, and they're the front line. They're the ones that's supposed to be snitching on their profession if it's not being run professionally. Okay, Charles, you want to conclude? Because we got we got other callers. Thank you, brother. Thank All you right, so sir. much Thanks for your calling. Comment. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Marie. How's it going, Marie? Hi. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Great. How about yourself? Fantastic. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the show. I want to know the name of the woman that you were speaking about. That is that a documentary or a book? Oh, that's the, the lady's name is uh, Michelle Alexander. She is a civil rights professor. She was. A, she also taught at Stanford. So she taught law at Stanford. Uh, University, civil rights lawyer, and um, she also clerked for Supreme Court Justice Blackman. So she's uh, she's she's very well researched, and and that book is a bestseller, by the way. And people that want to understand, they really want to understand what's going on out here. They read that book, and that book is very very popular. As a matter of fact, white people know this is going on. That's why I say it's not about black or white. We need to we need to help white people good will to help us in our time of need. When, when she has these speaking tours, it's mostly white people. Black people are sleeping on this. We don't even know this is going on for the most part. Actually, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, founder of Facebook, actually released a uh, list of his 25 must-read books, and that book was on it. So, it's, yeah, uh, This is a crisis, uh, Marie. We're uh, we about to lose another generation of uh, urban black uh, youth. And it also affects black women, by the way, because oh, yeah. 70% of uh, professional Black women, because we talk about all the way like uh, pregnancy, where everybody went grown about that. Seventy percent of, of uh, professional black women are unmarried, Be- and the main reason is because by the time a young man reaches uh, the age where he wants to commit to a relationship, 
he's already um, um, felonized or locked up in prison or given a felony that lasts, you know, the implications last for life. He's un, he's rendered unemployable. You so know what? You, he's taking you, out the marriage pool. I'm sorry, go ahead. You're correct. This is all by design. This is all by design. And I always tell all people, those who forget are doomed to repeat. Absolutely. But this, this is what I, I think. We need to remove European police officers out of our community. I see how they interact with us. They come in attitudes. They come in disrespectful. Well, I don't even agree. Be honest with you, I don't think that would entirely solve the problem because a lot of black officers have have bought into the idea that you know we we you know we all hear committing crimes, we all hear killing each other, and ninety nine percent. Let me let me get this clear because I hear this stuff about. We need to stop killing each other. 99.9% of black people in Baltimore haven't killed anybody. A lot of this stuff is related to the war on drugs. A lot of times, the reason a person has a gun in the first place that allows them to kill somebody is because he's selling dope. If you if you are five foot two punk on the street selling dope to desperate people, you gotta have a gun. Other, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask somebody you in vicinity has had one. I'm sorry. Let me ask you this. Okay, it's been put out in the street that a lot of police officers are doing doing committing these killings, I, and it's the same thing that. in. Same thing in Chicago. Well, I can't confirm that, Marie, but something is definitely going on. I do, I do know that doing, uh, and again, when you were saying about if we don't know history, doing repeated, doing doing the, the doing prohibition. Yeah, I know you know about prohibition. Uh, mm-hmm. Alcohol was illegal from um, 1919 to 1933, and during prohibition, there was a lot of killings over the sale of illegal alcohol, alcohol territory. Same type of things going on now. The people that the architects of the war on drugs. Understood that they understood that history, and they understood when they and put the you, when you put drugs, something like drugs, in the vicinity of people who are it's poverty stricken. That's what results. And there was like, but these only these white people committing these murders, like th- like a thousand murders in Chicago back in in, in in the 1930s. Al Capone became a billionaire behind this. So people that understand that history, they understand the dangers, the real dangers of war and drugs. And and by the way, the re- main reason you know how marijuana was made illegal. Who? Marijuana. Why marijuana was made illegal? Was made illegal? You, do you know why marijuana was illegalized? Was made illegal? Why is that? Most, I would say, don't feel bad. I would say 99.9% of black people don't know this. What happened was, marijuana was, was used to be uh, uh, in most pharmacies in the United States. They called it cannabis at that time. And um, uh, what what they when, when the Mexicans brought it here, there was an influx of Mexicans during the Mexican Revolution around the turn of the century, and they brought um, cannabis with them, but they called it marijuana, okay? And white people were, were shocked, and they, they um, you know, by the marijuana and all the stuff and all the propaganda that was spread about, um, that spilled about marijuana and all of the dangers and how black people, if they get marijuana, they're going to rape white people. You look this up. You Google this. Oh, I'm not, I heard about I'm not, I'm not making this up. And there was yeah, a guy named Henry Anslinger. After the alcohol was legalized, he, 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 he wanted a job with, the, he wanted to start his own bureau, and he started the Bureau of Narcotics. And he, he went on a crusade against marijuana so that he could secure his job, you know, as, as the head of that agency. And so they made this film, this propaganda film called, and you look at some of the internet, propaganda film called Reefer Madness. In that film, people were smoking Marifa, white people were smoking Reefer and killing each other and jumping out of windows and all this stuff. So they created a hysteria in the co- country against marijuana. And so they 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 made marijuana illegal, and that was the reason. It was all based on racism, and nothing to do with no studies by doctors or anything like that. Like most black people would believe, and uh, some of that same rhetoric about people jumping out of windows, I was hearing about when they were trying to decriminalize marijuana. Unfortunately, and uh, you see now that marijuana is decriminalized, you see anybody jump out the damn window? I don't. 
You know, <laughs> you're about to jump out a window Excuse or anything. And the thing about it is that. Excuse me, I have to go, but what is your name? My name is Tyrone, man. I'm the owner of BPPW, Heating and Cooling. You, you're the owner of who? BPPW Heating and Cooling. Why? BPPW, yeah. Okay, because I like your show. I wanted to know when you come on. We come on at 2 o'clock. On Mondays, ma'am, and, and you're welcome, you know, to express your views. Now, I'll give you a chance. Okay. As long as people say, like you, who are intelligent and coherent with their with their words, I'll let them speak. So, it's not one of the shows where we want to shut you down because you're scared you might say something we don't like. Okay. All right? Thank Feel free you. to call. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you so much for your uh, comments. Again, the okay, number thanks. to call in is 410-481-1010. 410-481-1010. And uh, also, you can check out the uh, back shows, um, our previous episodes. You can go to SoundCloud.com slash Show. Also, reach out on Twitter and Facebook, uh, both slash Show. So it looks like we're at the uh, halfway point here. Um, so we'll go ahead and... Um, and roll the uh, the halfway point uh, clip. So um, before we uh, get into that, we'll go ahead and um, um, I just uh, want to make a comment going towards um, um, uh, what was spoken about uh, earlier in regards to the uh, actual race of the police officers. And I just want to uh, bring up an incident. Um, I remember I was at a at a college gathering and the uh, police were actually called and I went to an HBCU and the uh, cops arrived. They could have just told us to disperse and we would have dispersed. But instead, they uh, came in and they wanted to be rowdy. They roughed up a bunch of my friends and tased some of them. And um, they also... Um, you know, charged them with assault when uh, nobody actually assaulted an officer. And uh, it was a black cop who actually looked at me during that inf that incident and said, uh, don't make me make an example out of you, boy. And um, that was uh, definitely a shocking a experience. Cop. Yeah, a black cop. <laughs> yeah, I've been harassed by black cops before, you know, too, when I was, when I was young. So let's uh, pull up the commercial. Um, all right, well, while, while we're waiting for the commercial to come up, Oh, yeah, waiting on the commercial. But okay. um, you can go ahead and um, and uh, reach out to us at 410-481-1010 uh, to add your comments to the uh, show. Um, um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, uh, going back to you know being being harassed by police officers. You know, when um, just growing up in Baltimore, also, uh, I can actually say that the majority of black uh, black officers who uh, I mean, the, the majority of officers who uh, who have harassed me? They've all uh, been black, pretty much, except for maybe about two. Two of them. One was like the other was Hispanic, the other one white, but mainly black people who will always stop me on the street wherever I was walking in the city to make sure you know to, to see what I was doing and take certain things from me if I had anything. Yeah, and we're not saying all reason. cops are bad. We're not saying all police are bad, but you got to admit. And whenever there's an incident of police brutality that's going on film, there's other police officers standing around. So even the so-called good cops. They don't do anything like that incident down on Greenmount Avenue where that guy was getting the crap beat out of the good, the so-called good cops were standing around watching. But all cops aren't bad. So let's go yeah. to the commercial. I know we got callers, but we'll go to the commercial and then we'll, we'll have your calls after that. Did your air conditioning go bust this summer or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter? I think you better call Those other companies tried to reduce my family's bank account to zero. 
But when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, we're going we're gonna to take this call, and then we're going to talk about um, what a drug dealer looks like. Okay. Uh, Herb, how's it going, Herb? Uh, how you doing? I'm doing Fantastic. all right. Uh, okay, well, listen, uh, you had a caller to call in to say that they felt that if you had black policemen, uh, they yeah, would we, we address that. against this racial profile and against <laughs> blacks. Uh, and you seem to have disagreed with that. Yeah, I think you have. No, no, no. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have more black officers. Yes, we should. But what needs to change is the structure, the structure racial, because a lot of black officers have actually bought into that. And as the young men, the two millennials in their 20s who are who are with me have said, they've been stopped. One guy stopped at his HBCU and and was 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 you know harassed by by black cops. And the other one was he said just about every time he was stopped, he was harassed by black cops. And I have and then, sir, I have been harassed. Harassed by black houses, made made to lay on the ground, all kinds of stuff. Oh, when yeah, I was young. I agree with you. I, uh, that's the point I was trying to make here. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Really, I wasn't <laughs> going totally against what you were saying because you do have some validity in what you're saying. However, to improve that, I think we'd be better off if the black policeman we had on the force was in the local neighborhood. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree with that premise. Rather than someone living in a totally different uh, locality. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, a lot of them live in the county. If I had a police officer that lived about two doors from me or, or two blocks from me, uh, he'll be more familiar with the neighborhood. He'll probably get more respect. Yeah. And he, and, uh, he'll be a neighbor just with a job and, and trying to keep law and order. You it used to be that way in Philadelphia, but they had to change it because it was un- it found unconstitutional. In Maryland law, in the court of Maryland law, you can't make people live in the city, but you can give them incentives. You give them bonuses for living in the city, yeah. et cetera. So, oh, okay, well, I thought I'd share that idea. You know, it's an excellent idea. Er, thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Call again. Uh, thank you. All thank right, sir. You. Okay, next up on the line, we have Ernest. How's it going, Ernest? Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing all Bye, right. Ernest. Now, I don't know if you guys remember when that young lady was in D.C. Oh, she yeah, the one they shot, shot in the 17 van. times. Yeah. It was all on television. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, they shot in the cars. Um, the car, they, they, um, they lit her up. Yeah, they lit up pretty literally, you know, in the what car. Did, what did President Brahms, Barack Obama say about that? I don't know, Ernest, but I know no, the the, uh, the police officers. Let me, let me finish. Let me finish. The police officers involved got a standing ovation in, in the Congress. Okay, and a lot of black people were agreeing that she should have been shot. You know, and I, I was shocked. To me, it was it was a definite case of police brutality. When you got you got all those officers, these big burly, two hundred fifty pound officers. They can't subdue that woman, and it was clear to see she she was unarmed. I'm pretty sure they saw that before they let go on a number of those rounds. Go ahead, Ernst. I'm sorry. Yeah, what I was saying is that I didn't hear nobody in the Congress. Or nobody, everybody saw that that was out-and-out murder. Yeah, even, um, what's that, Michael Savage even said it was it was, a, it was murder. And he's a right-winger on, on, on conservative radio. 
Right. You know what Michael Savage's real name is? I have absolutely no idea, Ernest. And I, I don't even care. His, his name is Michael Weiner. His what? His name is Weiner. <laughs> well, so he's that Jewish. Guy. He's he's gone Michael Savage. They, you know, they changed that right, name. Right, right. Absolutely. His, his name is Michael Weiner. So here's a guy, and, and he, not only is he a right winger, he's a, a racist. I, I've heard him several times. Let's neither here nor there. Right, right. Now, if you if you a police, if you a police, and you have a family, and uh, something happens, and you report it, you report it. Wait a minute, Ernst, Ernst, just for the sake of the audience, are you a police officer? Or you I'm retired. Ah, uh, retired. Okay, go ahead. You report it. Nine times of ten, you might get fired. So you have to, I mean, they had a, a white guy that reported, reported something in here. They they put a rat on his car. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. He was, he no, was a detective. No black, we had a black police commissioner, and, and, and the black police commissioner didn't try to save him. And the FOP didn't try to save him. They ran him out well, of That town. goes back him to what we were talking about before, Ernest, about black people in the force not necessarily uh, 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 correcting the structure, the structural problems. And uh, black people in high places, black faces in high places, don't necessarily guarantee you justice. Now, 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 they had a they had an individual in out in California. He was a a black guy. He reported a a white female who kicked a mentally retarded person. I remember that. In the chest, they, they killed him, right? Huh? They killed him later on. Yeah, they wound up killing him. Yeah, they killed and him. And guess what? Yeah. He got fired by uh, uh, Bill Bratton. Who's now the police commissioner of of uh, New York? Yeah, what happened was this is what I think happened, Ernest. He had bought into all this stuff about colorblind society and all this stuff, and he thought he was going to be treated fairly when he by being a whistleblower, and that didn't that wasn't the case. They were, they came down on him like a ton of bricks. Well, and, uh, every- he was also an officer in the, in the army in the, in, the, in the naval reserves, by the way. And that that whole his, the whole he had bought into the whole system of you know there's no more racism and all that, and he flipped. He just flipped out and he started shooting police officers. Well, well and um, uh, I remember the clip when they when they finally cornered him. They said, "Shut those cameras down, you know, and turn that mic off, turn that damn mic off, stuff like that." And they said, "Burn his," you can hear him say, "Burn his," you know, I can't say it on the air, but you can hear yeah, him saying that. Over yeah, there. burn well, him out, well, and they burn him to death. Well, the deal is, the deal is this: no black person came to his aid. He lost his job, and although he did what he was supposed to do, and everybody's saying, "Well, police should." do this telling right. and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But when it, when the deal go down, it's considerable you're going to be out on you your own, you're going to be on a limb, and nobody's going to help you. As matter of fact, matter of fact, that every whistleblower in the federal government that came forward, uh, Barack Obama has did his best to put him in jail. Everyone. Every, uh, including a, uh, a whistleblower that was a black CIA agent. Okay, Ernest, you want to conclude? We got other calls. That want to get okay, started. and the, the the only thing is, but usually, if you're on the police department and and police know that you don't to go for that that crap, they won't do it around you. Right, absolutely, they, I agree. They won't same, do it around you if you if you carry yourself in in a way that you don't you you're not going to tolerate it. Then they, they, you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to do it around you. And the other thing right. is, if you know a police is doing that. Then you don't back him up. You don't respond to his calls. You don't do none of that. That's a good remedy, Ernest. That's a good. Uh, we need solutions, but that, but that's excellent. Thank you for for calling that. Thank you, sir. Another another solution, in my opinion, and then I know we got calls, but just give me a second. The voice says another opinion. An, another solution, in my opinion, would be 
when these police officers are caught committing crimes, first of all, they should all be wearing cameras, okay? They should all be wearing cameras. I know cameras aren't foolproof, but when they are caught committing crimes, they need to be prosecuted. They need to be arrested and booked and then prosecuted for those crimes, and that then it will stop. The reason why police officers do these things is because they know they can get away with it in the current climate. Go ahead, Al. Okay, next up we have Franco. How's it going, Franco? Hey, how you doing today? You're doing all right. All right. I, all right, I, um, well, what I wanted to say, I'm going to say, but what, so what you just said, the cameras, I was supporting it at first, but what good are the cameras if every time they get some footage, they make us wait a week or two weeks? What's up with that? Okay, you know? okay, I, I see your point, Franco, and, I, and again, the cameras are not 100%, but it's something. It's a record of what happened, and um, like I said, in the case of the uh, Slager, even though it wasn't a police camera, a civilian had a camera, Michael Slager, when he shot the guy in the back. If that right. went for that, let's be finish. If it went for that civilian's camera, he would have got mm -hmm. off scot free. He would just simply said that um, uh, that that the, the, the guy attacked him with his own taser and he had to kill him. Okay, so they're not foolproof, but I think all police officers are wearing cameras. Somebody need to somebody. Them men tell no tales, but the camera does tell a tale. Whether you want to so accept brother, it or not. So, brother, whose camera was that? The police camera or the citizens camera? It was the citizens camera, but that police officer exactly. should been. Let me finish. That police officer, should been, which he was not, should have been wearing a body camera. There was a camera on the dashboard, but the police officer didn't have a camera on his person. Okay? Right. And now, had he had that, now, and cameras have been shown. And the studies right. have shown that cameras cut down on complaints against the police and the use of a force by the police. So they are, they do have some effect on the police right. performance of their duties. Because they know somebody. Don't forget how they, how they did this. I'm not, I ain't mean to cut you off, but don't forget how they did with the Sandra Bland dash cam. You know, right, right. That, again. They didn't have the police officers didn't have cameras on their persons. Well, we maybe we would have some kind of record of what was going on inside that jail because they've been right. wearing it the whole time they were on duty. After they edited everything perfectly, right? Now I, I suspect foul play in there, but because we have Definitely. no no uh, let me finish because we have no audio or visual, they can get away with. It. That's that's that is the importance of having a, a visual record that we can see for ourselves instead of hearing a story from the police. Because I think it was Bill Murphy that said. That um, against the word of a police officer, a black man's word, no matter what his station in life, has no weight in a court of law. And that's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. That's a very prominent lawyer saying that. Yeah. So there's and a lot I, of truth I to that. I agree with that, Hunter. I agree with that, too. Yeah. Well, all I called in to say was, you know, uh, I, I agree with the young man because all of my incidents with the police, I don't even have a criminal record. But all the times that I've gotten arrested, the the a black police officer has treated me way worse than a white Same police here. officer. Same here. You know, and, and that's just what we're talking about, um, sir, is that even innocent blacks get affected by all this stereotyping, this old war and drugs thing, and, and you know, this whole setup. It's even even innocent blacks get a, are affected. And, and you don't know it to you, it's your turn. A lot of people are in denial about it. But, um, right. you know, a lot of people say, well, you must have did something. They wouldn't just do that. You know what I'm saying? Until it happens to them or their relatives or their loved ones. Then they understand this stuff is real. It's not a figment yeah. of our imagination. I don't, you know, I can't, I can't put my finger on what it is, but <laughs> well, it, it it blows my mind. I, I can't say I don't have an answer, you know, but it's just like, yeah, I don't okay, know. It's well, a good subject, y'all. It's a good subject y'all having right now. It's yeah, a good subject. It, it needs to be discussed. Okay, uh, thank you for calling, in, sir. Call again next All week. Right. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. And, um, you know, one thing that the cameras do now is it takes it from just uh, anecdotal evidence. Now we have uh, documented proof of everything that, you know, we've been saying for years and uh, that can't be ignored. Uh, next up on the line, we have Marcus. Uh, Marcus, how's it going this afternoon? Oh, very well, thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Marcus. 
Uh, yes. Uh, one aspect of this war on drugs that does not get addressed, and really uh, uh, the, the, the lifeblood of the, the, the drug, um, the movement of the drugs, the buying and selling, is the, the aspect of the money laundering. Oh, yeah, we're going to discuss that. Do we have that clip? The economy, the clip, the, 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 um, the clip on, um, I'm sorry, hold, hold on, Mark. Drugs. We have the clip on uh, who, what a drug deal looks like. Mark, just yeah. hold on a second. We're going to play this clip for you. Now, most Americans violate drug laws in their lifetime. Most do. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but the enemy in this war has been racially defined. Not by accident, this drug war has been waged almost exclusively in poor communities of color. Even though studies have consistently shown now for decades that contrary to popular belief, people of color are no more likely to use or sell illegal drugs than whites. That's right, or sell. Now that defies our basic racial stereotypes about who a drug dealer is. If you picture a drug dealer in your mind, who do you see? All right. Uh, all right. Uh, that was, again, that was Michelle Alexander, uh, author of uh, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration and the Age of Color Blindness. She does, she's, done, she's done a lot of research for me, so I'd like to have her at <laughs> Professor Alexander at her input. <laughs> all right. Go ahead, Marcus. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Uh, as, she was, as she was saying, the, the money laundering aspect of where the, that keeps, it's like the lifeblood, the money. And whenever there's, there's huge uh, confiscations of, of drugs, money, uh, we never hear about, or when um, uh, someone is accused or charged with laundering money, we, we never see that person uh, do the perp walk. No, uh, no, those people are touched. It's the low-level low dealers, mainly black and urban centers, that get, um, uh, um, that get arrested. And, 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 and again... The war on drugs in the 90s, most of those arrests weren't concentrated on kingpins. That's, 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 that's a big myth. A lot of it, three-quarters of those arrests in the, in the 90s were for simple uh, marijuana possession. Okay, And that's why there was such a push to, to decriminalize marijuana, because blacks were four times more likely to be arrested for possession of marijuana than whites. Whites were usually let go, okay, or whatever. You know, Don't let me catch you again, I'm going to tell your parents. That's the end of it. You're a black guy, you get caught, they throw your, your son or somebody, throw him on the ground, You know, take him down into custody, and then he has his uh, criminal record for the rest of his life for something he did when he was 18. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, hello. And by the way, thanks for calling, Marks. And by the way, uh, you know, they did a, a study in Cleveland and they found out when they reduce poverty, they reduce crime, you know, and similar things occurred in white neighborhoods. When they reduce crime, uh, poverty, they, they were able to re reduce uh, crime. There was also a study. Uh, Done that uh, that that show that um, that uh, employers are more likely to hire a white felon than a, um, an African American, and we're talking about stereotyping again with a clean criminal record. Okay, so there is some stereotyping going on in that, and and if if you're going out to get a job, people with um, white selling names like uh, Jennifer and Emily and and um, uh, uh, Bob were more likely. 50% more likely to get a call back from employers than people with names like a uh, black selling names like Jamal and Lakeisha. Okay. And, and if, and, and again, if you're Raven Simone, you're not going to hire anybody with a name like watermelon Lonia. 
Okay, so even <laughs> black people, yeah, right. So even <laughs> black people participate in this uh, nonsense. And then that, that young lady, I'm sorry to say, she has a lot of internalized racism and self hatred to say something like that. You know, make light of something. You know, discrimination, especially with a name like Raven from Simone, which is a black sounding name, right? And the only thing that makes her special is because she's a celebrity, and nobody would hire her with her hairdo and you know red hair and all this kind of stuff. And you know, um, and and. Looking the way she does with that name, Raven Simone, if she wasn't, it was for the fact that she was a celebrity. So she gets special treatment. And a lot of people that are born on third base, they think they hit a triple hitter. Okay, and that's sad. And I hope I'm not one of those people. Because it was the best decision Raven Simone probably made in her life was picking the right parents. And that wasn't uh, quite the uh, decision. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I mean. Uh, next up on the uh, line, we have Maria. How's it going, Maria? just wanted to let you all know I was just sent home from work because I wear my hair natural and I have my my turban on with my natural hair showing wow. like uh, a, a European sent me home I've been on this job for three years and had they had no issue wow that's what I mean by Raven Simone's special status as a celebrity allows her to say stupid stuff like that and think it's funny you know and uh, unfortunately these stereotyping affects us in the, in the workplace it affects us when we get hired, and it affects us when they're about to lay off, too. Right. So, as usual, we're the first, I mean, we're the last hired and the first fired. Right. Well, thank you so much for your comment, Maria. Thank you for listening. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, and, 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 and back in the day, white people get upset sometimes with black people being on a job back in like the 50s and 40s, and some black people get laid off simply because a white person had a problem with them being on a job with them. And so... They would just go fishing. They said, well, I got laid off, and, and um, John, you got laid off. Let's go fishing, you know, and try to, you know, get over it. The fact that they got, the only reason they got fired was because, you know, the white person had a problem working with blacks, you know. So there's a lot of um, a lot of racism. And, but the thing you're hearing now is that there's reverse racism, which is which is total nonsense, as I just explained. You know, that's a mess, too. Okay. Next, caller. Next up on the line, uh, we have Dave. How's it going, Dave? Hey, how's it going, Tyrone? <laughs> hey, Dave, what's going on? I'll let you I'm talk this time. Go ahead. I'll let great, you have your say. <laughs> a great show. Uh, I really just tuned in. I didn't catch most of it, but I just want to say that, you know, a lot of times when those things that seem like racism, and it is racism, I don't get it, but there's also a business element to it, too. You know, some positions, and depending on what business you're in, as a business person, you have to make a decision of who the people you want to represent you in certain instances. So you and wouldn't hire a person named Watermelon Dave, you wouldn't hire a person named Watermelon or somebody with African-American sounding name like Jamal or Lakeisha? <laughs> well, it depends on what business I'm in. That could be an advantage in certain businesses, right? Right, but but it yeah. should never be it should never be a disadvantage. We're not we're not saying that. And we're not excusing we're not we 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 are not saying anything is excellence. We're not saying anything, that all white people are bad because it's nonsense. We don't hate white people. And then, like I say, white people goodwill are all, always welcome to help us in, in our time of need. And the people, most of the people, again, in Michelle Alexander's audience, which goes on speaking tours, are white people. And like I say, black people slept on this for so long, and they don't believe they're in denial about it, most black people. But go well, ahead, it, it is, but I'm just looking at it from a business standpoint, and there's a lot of decisions made based on the market that you're looking at and the people that you're trying to buy your product or, or your service. And, you know, a lot of things that Nike does, you know, because they know who 
who's the main purchaser of, of their sneakers. Well, Nike's, <laughs> when I was overseas, <laughs> I know you've been overseas too, Dave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I when I was overseas, you get, let me finish, you get a pair of Air, the latest pair of Air Jordans for $6. So the only thing you're really paying for, and Nike, by the way, has, has markets in 700 countries. The only thing you're really paying for is Michael Jordan's uh, signing for that tennis shoe. That's it. That tennis shoe is not it's not going to make you play any better than, than Michael Jordan with a pair of dress shoes on. Okay? So there's no magic to the tennis. Just, you know, basketball is skill. It's a skilled exercise, you know? So that the tennis, the worth, the value of the total value of that tennis shoe that people are killing each other for is probably about $6, less than $6 to make it because it's $6 on, when you buy it at the countries where they make them. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You, you're right. But, you know, I, I do believe when Allen Iverson was uh, hot, right? And mm-hmm. um, they were mar- and they were using Allen Iverson to market certain things. And they were looking at a certain demographic. So, you know, and that's a lot of decisions are made on that. And some of it can be construed as racism. Probably a lot of it is. But one thing that I've learned is that that green, you know, it stops a lot of that. And well, I think our problem is that we're on the other side as consumers, so we don't really control, you know, uh, Dave, the process. Dave, Dave, so, I, I run a business. I, I don't believe in discrimination. I, I don't believe. In I know. Dis- I don't believe in discrimination. All right, I'm based on race or anything of that sort. As long as you come to work presentable, you know, I'm good. I'm good with you. You ain't got, you know, you ain't got to um comply. You know, if you want to wear a yarmulke or whatever, I don't have a problem with that. All right. No, no, you I don't either. I, I I'm agree. I'm agreeing with you. Okay. I'm totally agreeing, and I'm saying right. that there, there's racism out there, but there's a, you know nothing to me is really always cut and dry. All right, there's Dave, always th- some type of variable, and the biggest variable I see because we're in the United States of America is money. All right, Dave, we got we got a couple right. of callers. So All right, y'all have a, have call have a good day, man. Thanks. Right. Thanks Take a lot. Oh, by the way, uh, we're about to conclude the show. Actually, we, um, so we got a few more minutes. So, feel um. I, I enjoyed the dialogue. Thank you for calling in. Excellent dialogue. Excellent dialogue. And another. this concludes another exciting show of To Call Tyrone. Be sure to tune back in with us at 2 p.m. next week, next Monday. And, uh, Zach, you have some closing words. And, Leroy, I want you to have some closing words as well. Uh, well, definitely, um, you know, the profiling is definitely an issue, especially for people in my demographic. It comes from all sides, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, from the police officers, from people of other races and even people of our own race, uh, older uh, black people who look down upon us um, just because we're walking around. Um, they have certain preconceived notions of us. And um, I do think that it's time for that to come to an end. Um, and we need to seek out solutions to do that. Um, also, don't forget to follow the uh, Call Tyrone show on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud. Leroy? Uh, yeah, and, you know, with all that being said, with these uh, people walking around with these preconceived notions of us uh, as we live our daily lives, just be sure to be careful. Okay, and, 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 and again, 99.9% of black, young black men in Baltimore haven't killed anybody. So when you say stupid stuff like we need to stop killing each other, young people looking at you like you're crazy because they ain't. You kill anybody today, Zach? You plan <laughs> on killing somebody today? How about you, Leroy? Oh, uh, no. Okay. So so don't think that every black person is killing each other. Mainly it's people that have guns for various reasons of criminal endeavor. And when you have people that are uneducated and aren't the brightest people in the world with guns, bad things happen. And let's just stop the stereotyping, all right? Let's stop it because it's hurting even our, our innocent kids. Thank you for your time. And have a good day. <laughs>